Association. 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 That was such uber ponage. Hello, fellow nerds. Welcome to a spooky edition of Nerd Association from the WBNS Radio Studios in Columbus, Ohio. I'm your host, Mark Finch. And I'm your other host, Daniel Barnett. And here on Nerd Association, we like to remind you that just because we have cool jobs, it doesn't make us cool. Although, I, you know, it's cool to be a nerd. I'm into that. So. Yeah. This week, we're taking a little bit different tack. And uh, Mark, what do you think of when I say spoopy season? <laughs> well, when we were talking about this, this idea and what we we're going to do for this episode it, it brought a story to my mind um because i've always kind of liked horror movies and i we were talking off air that uh we both think we actually probably like horror movies a little bit more than we had thought right. this year we've watched a little bit more in preparation for some of these episodes and just because there's just so many options now with like all the things you can stream and everything but i i'm reminded of a story back when we used to actually go to blockbuster remember those days when oh yeah to go to the video store on friday <laughs> night and it would take forever you get try to find two or three movies and I, we were it, it was taking us a while to find one and i was probably I don't know, eight, nine, something like that. And I said to my dad, I said, Dad, why don't we just get a whore and go home? Uh, okay, yeah. So just just messed up the word a little bit as an eight year old. Well, and, and enough up. people say it that way anyway. That, yeah. yeah. Well, so it's very it's good. horror. The, horror. The second er is very important. It's a very different meaning. Yeah, for obviously. sure. Um, I I think too. Yeah, you you hit the nail on the head. As we were, you know, we've been doing a month now of of different scary movies, and I don't think I realized until this month, and then especially until prepping this episode, how much I enjoy the movies. I I think because so much of horror has become jump scares and slashers Mm -hmm. and not if you enjoy that there's nothing wrong with that yeah but it's just not usually the thing that does it for me well and a lot of uh like horror movies that make it into the theaters and get the big marketing push are really just to like trick teenagers into going to the first two weekends of it and they're usually done blumhouse has perfected it now blumhouse makes some really good movies just out of nowhere but most of their like bread and butter to get through the year are those things like uh what did they do they did like pleasure island right and like truth or dare like those kind of movies that yeah are just you know just low budget scrape it together teenagers will go they'll go ah and then we'll make you know 70 million dollars on a four million dollar budget or something like that yeah and those are move. they're like the roller coaster equivalent of movies yeah. you're there because you want the visceral thrill of you know of being scared by things jumping at you mm-hmm. or the sight of blood or whatever. And again, if that does it for you, like I'm not a guy that likes to go to a, a roller coaster park yeah. or an amusement park for that reason. Cause it just doesn't do it for me. Well, and that, those and, kind of movies can be fun in the right setting when you're in a crowded theater on a Friday night of sure. opening. Like obviously that's something we're not doing right now. And you're not, you <laughs> hopefully know, you, please you, don't be doing that. Yeah. <laughs> you can't get a giant group of your friends together right. and all watch it in your basement. And those, that's sometimes like the group, Sure. experience of those kind of movies can be fun but yeah when you're sitting at home looking for a, a random horror movie to watch during spooky season you're that's really not what you're looking for because i've i've crossed over some of those on netflix i've seen that truth or dare one and yeah. i'm like i know this movie's bad i'm not gonna watch it like it's not i'm not gonna get anything from sitting here alone watching any of these blumhouse movies yeah for sure so and, and i again i want to need to stress that it's not that I feel like I'm some sort of sophisticate when it comes to movies. I enjoy movies that are like lowbrow too. Yeah. So quote unquote lowbrow too. It's just that that's not for me. But in doing the prep for this episode, I was like, you know, actually some of my favorite movies are horror movies mm-hmm. for various reasons that we will 
touch on. Um, I don't know that we're necessarily rank. We're so we're going to talk about our top five favorite horror media, mm-hmm. uh, whether it be movies, books, uh, other stories, etc. I don't know that we're ranking them in order of significance, really. Yeah, I mean, I kind of did an order, but it doesn't really matter because I enjoy all of them. So it doesn't, you know, it's not like the one is way ahead of yeah. number five. So um, would you like to kick us off? Yes, I think I'm going to start. I'm going to start at the bottom. Okay. Because I, I, I want to. St- I I sort of enjoy lower budget found footage movies. Now there's like Paranormal Activity, which the first one's pretty good, and that was like. Uh, a huge phenomenon and then they they got increasingly worse as it kept going on it seemed like yeah that one's not really exactly what i'm talking about i do enjoy the blair witch project which was kind of the beginning of at least in the mainstream yeah those found footage movies especially in the horror there were some before it but blair witch project really blew that out of the water and now viral marketing and all that stuff but there are these few movies and i actually watch this one pretty much every year this one's called the house is october built i also like a similar one called hell house llc both of those from different perspectives but both of them are about haunted houses not okay. like not like a don't go in that house it's haunted like attractions sure that are set up in this time of year and you go and people jump out and try to scare you and for some reason, I really enjoy both those movies. It's a, one, the Hell House LLC one is the the people putting it on. Yeah. And it turns out this abandoned hotel that they set it up in is actually haunted. And there was like some occult type stuff right. in there. And then <laughs> it gets a little wonky at the end because it's low budget. It doesn't look great. But they're like a portal to hell opens up in the basement of this. So I really <laughs> like that one. The house is October built. Are these people going and they're looking, they're driving around like the southwest, southeast Texas into like Louisiana area. And they're looking for the best haunted house attractions they can find. And the, but they're looking for the extreme haunt, the next one. As they're going to these ones, they're asking yeah. other people, "Hey, have you heard of this?" It's like I think it's like the blue skeleton or something. And they finally like find their way into that while they're also being stalked by people they have seen at these haunted houses that they thought were just workers at those ones. But yeah. it, it turns out they're actually like that that group, that blue skeleton. And then they get like kidnapped at the end. And I don't know. I like that one. I think I, for some reason it entertains me to see it. It. It does a good job of seeming real, like people just filming their little road trip. And it, it makes sense that they're filming. You know, that's a problem with found footage sometimes is like in like Cloverfield. Mm-hmm. Why are they filming still? <laughs> they're trying to escape Manhattan and there's a giant monster. Right. It's it's unbelievable because, um, yeah, you're going to put your own survival above. But in a situation, you're right. Like I mean, Blair Witch is a good example. Mm-hmm. Sounds like these movies are good examples of people who are just trying to make documentaries or, or record some like adventure they're on yeah and it goes south and eventually probably becomes a way of them being like this is what happened mm-hmm. to me so and, i want it to be on tape <laughs> yeah and of those one i also uh i like the grave encounters one which is where it's like a it's like a a spoof of like the ghost hunters show and yeah. they go into this this uh abandoned hospital and they you know they end up it's like it becomes like labyrinth like you mm-hmm. know they open a door and it's not the hallway that it should be and they get stuck in it and they end up down there for a long time there's a second one in that that i think actually does a pretty good job of connecting them but one last thing on the house is october built that i uh, i really like is i think some of it is legit like i think they actually went 
I don't know this for sure, but I think like, they actually went to just these haunted houses and filmed and then like ad-libbed their scenes. Like, sure. here's the idea of what we want for the scene. But some of the people, you know, it's it's just like man on the street type stuff. They're interviewing people in line and then, right. and then they're kind of reacting. Some of the, I don't know if they're hired actors or if they're really just talking to some of the scare actors yeah. at these places and like morphing their scene around it and just doing some good imp- improvisation. I think... I, I don't know. I like that movie. It's clever filmmaking. <laughs> yeah. Um, you and I talked a little bit about this. So I I appreciate that genre. I think it's in some ways become a meme of itself. Mm-hmm. Uh, so there's, there's a lot of bad ones. Right. But <laughs> I've never been able to enjoy them because I have like motion sickness with yeah. them. <laughs> so I get physically ill if yeah. I try to watch Blair Witch Project. So the only thing I know about those movies is what I've gotten through glean, like, you know, synopses or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um but yeah, good films. I think, too, you're right. It, it's especially in an age with where people just live stream on yeah. Facebook or YouTube. And especially these days, like when bad stuff happens, you pull out your phone and start filming. Yeah. It feels very real in a way that it maybe it, it would have been hard in the even as like the 80s to think about. <laughs> Like having a camcorder, uh, a home camcorder would have been the thing you had to like put on your shoulder. And, and then uh, in Ghostbusters, he has the one where you're actually carrying the cassette in like a separate unit. Right, it's a full size shoulder. VHS. Yeah. <laughs> and so I think the more and more technology like that fits into our pockets, the more that that becomes relevant and believable. And another uh, offshoot of that that's becoming popular are those movies that happen entirely on a laptop screen. Yeah, and it's like friends uh, skyping and stuff. There's one called Unfriended. It's not a particularly good movie, but there's something about that way to make a movie that I find interesting. The way that it taps into the zeitgeist. Mm. And if, if it's somebody who they like, at least in that one, they like they paid for the right copyrights and they did their research. Like it's actual, it's like an actual Apple screen. It's got Safari. They right. go on Facebook, not you know, not Facebook or, or whatever. Yeah. yeah. So like, if you put enough effort in, pay enough money to get the the actual things in there, it does kind of feel like you're actually looking at somebody's computer sure. screen on this night where something's crazy's going on. Yeah, and I think um, it, I'll go ahead and and move on to my. Uh, yeah. I, again, I'm not really ranking them, but horror that's believable to me. Yeah. Is is the scariest kind of horror mm-hmm. because again, I get taken out of the moment when. No, again, I enjoy some of these movies. I'm going to talk about them in a little bit. But like when creatures come flying out of your chest or, you know, the the homicidal maniac in the in the spray painted mask just won't die. Yeah. I get taken out of it in those moments. Um, but we talked about Audition not too long ago. Yep. It's one of my favorite horror movies because of how like possible it would be for the most part keeping a guy hostage in your apartment for 18 months. Although you hear stories about that all the time. Yeah. Um, that scares me. Uh, but the one, and, and I also want to give like honorable mentions to Silence of the Lambs, completely believable, truly horrifying movie. Yeah. Um, Shallow Grave is a great one from 1991, I want to say. Ewan McGregor, it was one of his first movies. Okay, I've never seen that one. It's about three roommates who a new roommate moves in with them into their flat and he dies and he has this huge um, suitcase full of money. And they decide that to keep the money, they're going to have to get rid of his body. So these like three normal 20 somethings Uh take the body out to the woods, cut it up with hacksaws and bury it. And one of them kind of enjoys it. And two of them are horrified by the experience. And the rest of the movie is like the one roommate uh, that now they're all suspicious of one another because they know what they're capable of. Uh And each one like trying to keep their piece of the money. It's very interesting. Very good. Okay. Um, I I will say Christopher um, Eccleston. 
I think is also in that one. Okay. So anyway, but the one that I want to focus on, you and I, you know, as we were talking a little bit about prep for this, probably most people wouldn't think of it as a horror movie. Uh, but Requiem for a Dream is one of the scariest movies I've ever seen. Yes. One, because drug addiction's a real thing, and it impacts people largely in the ways that it impacts people in that movie. Yeah. And yes, it, it's certainly hyperbole, some of it. <laughs> the idea of, like, your arm rotting off or, the you know, the scenes of the things you do to make the money to buy the drugs. Yeah. Probably that doesn't happen to there everyone. There is something to that arm scene where you're like, is that what happened? Like, you're it's, not, you know, if you're not that versed in the met, side effects. It's medically very probable. Yeah. Um, and, you know, again, human trafficking has a lot to do with mm-hmm. uh, mental illness. All those things are tackled really well in that movie. And it's the kind of movie... You probably only need to watch once. I've seen it twice, but I totally agree with you. <laughs> um, and I have a quick, funny story about that movie. Not the movie, but the experience of me watching it for the first time. Okay. So the first time I was, I had heard about this movie, and I was like, oh, I th- that's the movie, and it's not. Spoiler. That's the movie where there's that the baby crawling on the ceiling, and its head turns around. Whoa, that sounds freaky. I'm going to watch that movie. And I watched all of Requiem for a Dream, yes. and that didn't happen. And I was like... Oh wait a minute! It's the other heroin movie, Train Spotting, <laughs> the one that you can the, watch. The more one than that's once. kind of fun and flirty, yeah. right? Uh, where the, the so anyway, I watched that whole damn movie. <laughs> Never saw the baby turn its head around, so I went and watched Train Spotting. Yeah, the the most I it, probably the only scene that like compares to that idea in that movie, and it's not heroin it's the mother who's on speed yeah when like her fridge tries to like attack her and that's like a really almost like tim burton-esque yeah scene that one has it's like very that surreal feel. yeah yeah so i would say uh my first uh my first entry is the horror that is possible that is the scariest yeah my next entry into it uh this is gonna be my only non-movie one max brooks's uh zombie survival guide okay and then world war z which uh they're kind of companion pieces. The the zombie survival guide one is a little more like tongue in cheek and kind of fun. Like he's giving you all these. There, some of them are legitimate like uh, survival, survival techniques. Techniques, yeah. yeah. So I mean, he did his research research and it's good, but it's you know it's under the guise that zombies are real and like this is something you should act. And I still there are things that that I read from it that uh, that I still stick with me today. Like what's the first thing you do if you're at home in a zombie apocalypse? Uh, you barricade all of your doors and windows. You turn on the bathtub and fill it up and fill up any oh, container yeah. you have with water. with water before that water stops running. It's tainted or stops running or whatever. And your yeah. bathtub, is mo- if you have one, is most likely one of your biggest containers and easy to fill up because it's right there. So yeah. fill that up, get that done. Um, barricading is definitely high on the list as well. If you're have, if you lucky enough to have a house with stairs, bring everything you need upstairs and destroy the staircase. Yeah. Because then the zombies can't climb up the stairs and get you and you're pretty safe up there so those are some of the ones that have stuck with me uh he points out and i'll get to a reason why he would point this out with one of my other picks but like don't go to the mall tons of people (laughs) are going to have that idea like it seems like you're going to have everything there but there's going to be too many people right you'd be better off going to more of like a warehouse setting not very many people would think of a warehouse there's going to be supplies and if they do get in most warehouses have the huge the huge ceilings with the big right. shelves so you could create fortresses up there. Well, so, and I feel like warehouses built out of cinder blocks with like huge sliding doors that you can easily lock up and things. I mean, it would be hard to break into a warehouse. Yeah. But it would also, that means it would be hard for something that's like slow and rambling and mm-hmm. dumb to break into a warehouse too. One of the other ones is uh, 
like melee weapons are more important than guns because bullets run out. Yep. And they run out quickly and you're probably not that good of a shooter anyway. Some yeah, people you, you might think are, you are, but you're probably not. <laughs> yeah. It's uh it's not like The Walking Dead where everybody's just getting headshots back and forth. So melee weapons are important and chainmail sounds like a good idea, but it's heavy. And your endurance is going to be the most important mm-hmm. thing when so, you're trying to Yeah, it, it might protect against the bite, but if you can't keep running and there's a horde of them, they'll eventually get through it. Right. So those are some fun, fun things from the zombie survival guide. World War Z was made into a movie that did a terrible job at adapting <laughs> it. It basically just became an action movie starring Brad Pitt because they were like, people like zombies. Let's put Brad Pitt in a zombie movie. Uh, the book is actually an oral history of mm-hmm. the I think it might be actually Max going around, but he's going around interviewing people who were on the front lines or in certain situations during this World War Z. Yeah. So it's just like the Battle of Yonkers is like in New York, and that's a really famous one. There's a. Uh, there's one like the kind of like almost like patient zero and that's in China or somewhere in like God. the Southeast Asia <laughs> something like that. And then there. <laughs> yeah. And then uh, one that I that I really liked was like a, like a fighter pilot who crashed in like the swamplands of like Louisiana mm-hmm. or something like that and just had to like find her her way back to some. It's been a long time since I read it. So yeah. I don't quite remember. But I, I that one stuck with me. And there's a bunch of them in that. You know, it's just him going around, interview, you know, at least pretend he just makes it all up. One last thing on that. Wait, what? World War Z wasn't a thing? <laughs> Sorry. Did I forget about Did I World, forget War about War Z? War Z? Well, then what was that Brad Pitt documentary? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, last thing. Max Brooks. Brooks is a pretty random name. He's actually Mel Brooks's son. Oh, I don't think I knew that. Yeah. So I, I I didn't know that when I was reading these. I found that out just recently, but I was like, oh, that's cool. It, yeah. That makes sense. Yeah, definitely. Well, in the um, since the, you know that those are your book entries. Yes. I'll go ahead and do buy book entries. Um, classic horror literature. So we've talked a little bit about on this show about my love for the the novel Dracula, mm-hmm. and I will say it again. Go read the novel Dracula. It's super well. There's a reason that it, it that it persists. Like yeah. there's a reason it's a classic. Um, not all books that you hear about as being classic literature are that way. The Scarlet not, Letter sucks. I hated it. Well, I mean, it's not as good as Dracula in the <laughs> in the like entertaining reading sense. I'll give you that. Um, but it's a great book, and and it's the foundation for everything we think of when we think of Dra- like vampire movies mm-hmm. uh and it's written as an epistolary so in in the way that uh world war z is like a uh, you know an oral history type mm-hmm. book it's transmitted through diary entries and letters and things like that so it which is almost the book equivalent of found footage yeah i guess it really is yeah. and and it's <laughs> that's a good point too is that there's a lot of disorientation on the part of the reader for like when is this happening in the timeline it's uh-huh. laid out more or less in chronological order and there's a part of that book where the characters in the book are assembling the diary entries and the letters and the notes as part of the narrative where they're like, okay, everything you've read up to this point has been diary and letter and blah, blah, blah. And now what you're reading is we sat down in a room, all of us together and like sorted through it and typed it down. Uh, Anyway, that sounds like really meta and before it's time. It is very meta and before it's time. It's very good, but I don't want to focus too, too much on it because I have a couple of other things to talk about. Um, Edgar Allan Poe. Poe is the father of detective stories and of horror stories, Mm -hmm. like especially, uh, and probably the father of the American short story. So go read Poe. (laughs) They're quick to read. They still feel very relevant to this day in the sort of themes that he tackles with, 
um, disorientation and mental illness and, you know, the, the cruelty of man to man and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, and HP Lovecraft, I will not claim to be a Lovecraft head like some people are. Yeah. Uh, but there's a reason that Cthulhu is part of the sort of the general pop culture mythos. And it's because Lovecraft was writing these, which Lovecraft is problematic because he was like a, like a hyper white racist dude in New England. So I, I give you that. Now that's scary. <laughs> that's scary. Um, but he was writing these stories at a time when science was discovering so many new things about the nature of the universe and our place in it. And he writes these existentially uh, horrifying stories about how really mankind is insignificant. We understand very little. And there's a lot out there that is more powerful than us. We are the ants on the sidewalk. And there are creatures that are us, the people who could care less whether the ants live or die, if they get stepped on or not. Um, And sometimes are the people who go out with the magnifying glass and burn the ants. That's yeah. That's an interesting concept. Cause I've, I've thought about that before. Like, Imagine being a fly and mm-hmm. you're just flying around, buzz, doing whatever, and something one million times the size of you waves its giant hand and just slaps you out of the air. Yep. If it <laughs> if it minds you at all. Like, yeah. <laughs> um, but it's the perfect blending of it's not sci-fi. It's not quite fantasy. Mm-hmm. Um, it's horror. Sure. But it's 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 about kind of the paranormal. And it's weird. There's mm-hmm. nothing. And it's weird in in the truest sense of the word weird, there's nothing else quite like Eldritch Horror. And it's almost impossible to do in, in film because the thing that Lovecraft does so well is giving you vague enough descriptions that you can picture a thing that is unpicturable in your yeah. head and it doesn't make sense. The architecture is cyclopean. The monsters are full of like ooze and tentacles and limbs where there shouldn't be and eyes in all the wrong places. Which, yeah, adds to something that is really hard for, like, our brains to process. We're very used to animals and beings being symmetrical. Yeah. So when something is described as asymmetrical, as in, like, it doesn't have two eyes and a nose you can cut right in half, and, and like, it's just, what is going on? It's hard for our brains to process. And part of the point of Lovecraft is that you can't comprehend the thing you're looking at or experiencing. So to try to put it into film is going to be, again, nay impossible. Mm -hmm. So go read it. Pick up a, we encourage you to watch movies all the time on this show. Go read a damn book. Yeah. I haven't watched it um, while we're talking about Lovecraft, though. Yeah. I haven't watched any of it, but that HBO show that came out this year sure. recently, Lovecraft Country, I, I don't well, I don't, fr- I don't fully know what it's about, yeah. but I know it has uh, things from Lovecraft that is inspiring its story. Well, and at least the first season of True Detective is set in a sort of Lovecraftian, and it, and it hides that very well until, <laughs> but yeah, so yeah. anyway, it's all there. I'm gonna I'm gonna loop my three and two together, okay? Because they're in this category of scary movies I saw when I was too young. Oh, <laughs> I love that. Yeah. Um, one I've talked about it on the show before, The Exorcist, and the other one, Halloween. At the time when I saw The Exorcist, scariest movie I had ever seen, and it 
it's it falls into that line of you know could happen if depending on how because exorcisms are real like at least as far as they've been done correct whether or yeah, not whether the phenomena can be explained they yeah. they do they are out there <laughs> so there is something yeah about a priest going in and is this girl just suffering from mental illness or is she actually possessed the the movie's pretty clear on that but still the idea of that yeah is pretty freaky um, and still that uh, Linda Blair is the actress. Mm-hmm. Her is Reagan, I think, is the name. Yeah. Um, that when she's like fully possessed and she's got this, the the cuts on her face and she's puking the green bile yeah. stuff like that. Even even today, seeing pick even just still images of that, it still freaks me out. It reminds me back in the day of like the. Those internet videos that would be like a calming and then whatever, and then a big monster. Yeah, and yeah. if that if it was her face, that would still that would still freak. I would I would jump, but like even that, like that's like something that it's still in a dark room. Yeah. I, I I'm like I don't want to look in that corner. The Exorcist is really good about playing on again, sort of that unknown mm-hmm. and that thing that you think that a logical mind says isn't real, but when the evidence is in front of your eyes, like how do you confront it? And again, how do you confront if, if the devil is real and he's inside of, you know, your little girl, what do you do? Mm -hmm. Like what response, like what can you do? Um, And I think as far as like the way that it sticks with you in real life, a lot of the exorcist is in your face Mm -hmm. and everyone remembers that, but there's a lot in the exorcist that's kind of going on subliminally that, is the kind of thing your eyes would mistakenly see out of the corner of your eye yeah. or like you turn off a light and your eyes have that re- remaining image of what you were seeing, but it's distorted. Mm-hmm. It plays on that kind of stuff too in a really, sure. in a really um, remarkable way. Yeah. And then the other one in that is uh, Halloween, yeah. which we had on VHS because my mom really liked it because it came out in like 78 or something yeah. like that. So it was when she was a teenager that was like, and that kind of kicked off the 80s. Uh, slasher movie and I think Halloween has totally gone over its skis and kind of jumped the shark Yeah, but that first one is pretty scary and plausible enough that what if this boogeyman just came to your town one day and just killed a bunch of people Yep, and that's what the first one's about there's a little bit of him you know he gets shot and falls over balcony and is gone so there's a little bit where he's getting into that like mythical force who can mm-hmm. withstand anything but there's not a ton of it sure. and it's pre- it it just is scary that mask is scary the uh him walking around he's just so silent and he's like stalking laurie strode throughout the day uh and it, it there's a just, realism to it it's mm-hmm. it's realistic enough yeah that it can that it kind of gets stuck because it's essentially an urban legend as movie yeah you know, so there, I agree with you that the moments where he's like kind of a juggernaut are what take me out of a movie like that. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it stands. It certainly stands on its own two feet as one of the greats in horror. Yeah, and history. It's, I like John Carpenter too, mm-hmm. and he did the score for that. He's really good at scores, so uh, that's another reason to watch Halloween. That theme song is still iconic for just Halloween, not Halloween the movies, Halloween the time and yeah. holiday. You can play that, and people will be freaked out. The yeah, it's it's great. Well, I'll go ahead and combine my two, my next two entries, because I think they're nice counterpoints to yours. Mm-hmm. So speaking of The Exorcist, movies that truly scare me are cult horror movies. And I don't mean cult classics. I mean movies that deal with like cults. Mm-hmm. <laughs> because we've seen, and I'm not even trying to make some like big uh, socio-political statement. I'm talking even about things like... Uh, you know, the Branch Davidians like David Koresh are talking about uh, 
Charlie Manson's kind of a good example. He yeah. wasn't really a religious cult, but like you, if I, when I say like cults make people do crazy, like things that don't make sense, you mm-hmm. know that in real life. Yeah. Um, and so I'm reminded of movies like the original Wicker Man, not the Nicolas Cage one. Not that the King, bees! Not, not the bees! No, I think actually from the original Wicker Man, I think of, you know, the police officer, the main character who's in the Wicker Man. Um, he's a kind of interesting foil for the cult because the thing he does in his last moments is start singing hymns at the top of his lungs. Okay. Interesting. Um, Midsummer mm. is a trip about like being, you know, be, not realizing you're getting, you're being put into a cult and then you're suddenly there and these things are going on all around you. Yeah. And, the, the line between in these kind of movies between commune and cult yeah. is like very, very blurred for a moment until the, you know, the, the boot drops yeah. and you know what you're in for now. And I've actually, I mean, I've met plenty of people in real life who, didn't realize they were in religious cults yeah either because it was their upbringing or it it snuck up on them Mm -hmm. i've met people who were like oh yeah my time with the cult oh (laughs) let's talk about that and now they're of course you know not part of that life anymore and realize how crazy it was but it's a thing that really happens the one that is and it's much more of a horror movie in the traditional sense but it's a cult movie is rosemary's baby okay and the thing that's terrifying again foil of the exorcist Mm -hmm. the thing that's terrifying about that movie is of course the child of satan being born but uh, um the commentary on what it's like to be a pregnant woman is almost more what that movie's about yeah as a you know a pregnant woman who is is carrying uh you know their fetus it's a it's a very vulnerable situation. Uh, there's a lot of weird things going on with your body that you don't mm-hmm. understand. And like the idea of like losing your own personal identity through sure. it. Well, and because you trust your partner, you trust your circle of, of friends or neighbors or whatever to yeah. help protect you, to help you through that process. You trust doctors. You being a pregnant woman and being I mean being a woman in general, is, I can't imagine it's res- mad respect. But especially in this case, like yeah to think of a woman who, who kind of is forced to put throw herself on the mercy of people who do not have her best interests in mind. Mm-hmm. And then the thing that, that comes of it is not just the thing that could come of it in like real life, but Oh yeah. The antichrist is born of your womb. <laughs> <laughs> and, well, and then just the idea of like that being taken from you. Cause the way you hear, I'm not a father, but the way you hear parents talk about their children and yeah. how much they mean, to them to have that to go through the experience of being pregnant and have that close experience and then yeah it's not only you know in the literal sense taken away from you but in the like psychological and figurative sense it's not really of you one we've talked about this on this show before the greater horror is being bound to or or still sympathetic towards that thing Mm -hmm. like it's it's still your baby yeah even though it's the spawn of satan it's still yours and so having to, to deal with that is a, a terrible decision that, you know, yeah. in real life, parents shouldn't have to make, <laughs> especially in this situation. And then talked a little bit about earlier in the show about World War Z and about, and I know we are going to touch on this in a, in a moment, so I won't spoil, but body invasion horror. Mm-hmm. Um, we've talked about how much 28 Days Later freaks me out because, yeah. you know, the virus in that movie is essentially rabies. Mm-hmm. It could, to go back to my earlier point, it could happen. <laughs> this is the way that the zombie apocalypse would happen if it were going to. Yeah. Um, the Thing, John Carpenter, yep. a great example of uh, a movie that explores 
not just body invasion, mm-hmm. but the, the more sort of mistrust of the people that you should be able to trust the most. Yeah, and in uh, a situation that is hopeless, you're I think sometimes alone. what uh, it sounds like what you're getting at that something you might enjoy is um, the real monster is just people themselves. Yeah. There's a little bit to that, to some of the things you've been talking about. Sure. And that definitely is horrifying. Yeah, because like I said, I mean, I, there is there is a part of me that really does enjoy the the movie monster. But the thing that scares me far more is people. Have you seen uh, It Comes at Night? No. There's It's a movie where these people are holed up in like this cabin and somebody, another family comes and they eventually decide, okay, you can come. There's... Some sort of nondescript illness mm-hmm. that is like running rampant that people die from very quickly, so they're worried about getting infected and all this stuff. And there's this there's this implication that it comes at night. That's the name of the movie. But really, what happens is the idea of the disease being in there is what tears this little group apart. Right. It's and not then, the disease; it's the way people act yeah. towards and one the another. Dis- and the disease still is real. Sure, it, but at the spoiler alert for it comes at night. There you go. This is your chance to, to pause or whatever. <laughs> Everyone dies. The whole—it's a very bleak ending. Every, some people die of the disease. Some people die at the hands of the people. Mm-hmm. But everybody dies. Yeah. My and my last sort of—we've talked so much about Twenty Eight Days Later, and I, the one I wanted to focus on just a little bit longer is Alien, which. Uh, again, great sci-fi movie. Mm-hmm. Also a horror movie, a gothic horror movie in the truest sense. It is a, the ship, the Nostromo, is a haunted house, folks. And yeah. a, the xenomorph is the ghoul <laughs> that comes and invades mm-hmm. and goes inside of your body and impregnates you in the most horrible way. Because, I mean, if you haven't figured it out by now, face huggers are both penises and vaginas <laughs> on purpose. Yes. Uh, there is the rape element to that film two of of john hurt's character there's that horrifying idea that the thing that comes out of you is the thing that then kills you you know <laughs> yeah it's born of john out of comes flying out of john hurt's chest quickly grows into this unspeakably you know giger horrifying monster and then it just puts holes in your chests one of my favorite details of the uh, xenomorph monster is you can't really see it because the movie's really dark yeah. and moody but if you're looking at the actual like the costume and everything it has sort of a translucent almost transparent yeah. skull or like front part and there's a human skull yeah in there and something they expand on in the later movies which some of them are sort of actioning less scary yeah it kind of it, it, it varies which is a, a fun way to watch those movies it's just di- it's in They're the different hands of every, different people right. in all of them james and really good directors like james cameron and i think david fincher does the ridley third one. scott yeah. yeah and ridley scott <laughs> did the and he's done two now yeah uh three i guess if you count prometheus whatever we do <laughs> we count we count but it. as they go on they also they they show that like the one that comes out of a dog is more runs on f- all fours. Yes. So they they take something from that host, which is a, a more more example of it being body of horror. You. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I think uh, movies that that uh, are talk about just man being horrible to man or man you know people being horrible to people scare me, and so do ones where I. Th- and guess what? We're living in the time of a virus that invades you. And it's, so it's going to always be scary that there's always something out there that could get inside of you and change you or kill you. Mm-hmm. So there you go. My uh, final one. And I guess I lied. These are my favorites. But <laughs> okay. uh, George Romero's original zombie trilogy that basically spirited in the idea of the modern movie zombie. Yeah. And now it's in TV shows, graphic novels. It's all over the place. It, it's blown up huge. Uh, my ranking of the three would be Dawn of the Dead, Night of the Living Dead, Day of the Dead, but it's very close. They're all good. Mm-hmm. And they're all 
I don't know. He seems to. Well, he's he has sadly passed away, George Romero. Um, but he seemed to in the later ones, like the Land of the Dead and Diary of the Dead, like those those ones are kind of not as good. Yeah. Um, but he seems to have taken notice that people have told him, "Hey, there's like a lot of social commentary in your zombie movies," which there is. But I don't think he was purposefully doing it in these first three. And so they're just very much of their era type movies. I, there seems to be there seems to be less like trying to hit it on the nose, sure. at least. Um, it, the, I, I think the social commentary is intentional, but I do think that it's it's doesn't it does not beat you over the head. Yeah, and that's important because that's when you sit back at the end of a movie and go, "Oh crap!" Like uh, Dawn of the Dead is about like the t- terrors of capitalism, uh-huh. like. Oh yeah, Night of the Living Dead is about like a black protagonist and mm-hmm. saving the day. Like these, those are were those were important messages. That, but yeah, you're right. Yeah. They don't s- slap you in the face with it. The the thing about it too is because uh, it gets so bad in Land of the Dead because Land of the Dead is about like sort of like excess and like the rich being be- and like literally to the point where like the rich people are in this desolate zombie apocalypse world but they're living in this tower and they're like still shopping yeah and the the main like at least human antagonist is running away as everything's going to hell with bags of cash yeah. <laughs> like as though that like will cash help you. isn't gonna do anything like right. I, the there's a really good point that I've heard that like Dawn of the Dead handles that way better in one scene where they're going through all the stores in the mall and they go into the bank and Ken Forey's character opens up like the, the cash drawer mm-hmm. or whatever in the bank and there's just, you know, the, step, the bundle, step, yeah, yeah, the bundle together hundreds and he just picks it up and starts putting it in his bag and he goes, you never know. And that's good. Yep, that's that's, that's enough of it. That's all you need. That's, I, we, that, that makes sense to me. Like, if you had the time and you're just going around the small, sure, you might grab the money. But if you're but on the, the road. The one thing that you. I bet when they're escaping at the end very quickly, they're not like, oh, make sure we get the money bag. <laughs> you forgot the money. <laughs> yeah, no, definitely. But yeah, I like those movies a lot. The first one is in black and white. The second one's the classic in the mall. And the third one is probably the least seen of them. Mm-hmm. Um, I haven't seen it. <laughs> it's it's uh, a group of scientists and a group of military people in an underground bunker in like Florida or something, and mm-hmm. they're they're trying to do experiments to figure out more about this. And so, and that was like their. But they they've not they've kind of been cut off from communication. Yeah. It seems like this virus is fully taking, and they might be the last people hold up. And that ends up being another movie where the real monsters are the people yeah because they start having conflicts and they just they they can't get along and the one of the military guys the famous line is i'm running this monkey farm scientist and i want to know what the hell you're doing with my time and that's a that's a great line yeah it's, it's great i don't know if i got it quite right but it's close enough uh so that one check out day of the dead too especially if you have seen the other two and like them real question is Monkey Farm really the line? It, Monkey That's Farm not is, like the made-for-TV line? Monkey Farm is definitely the line. Okay. There <laughs> might be an actual F word in there, because there's definitely F words in the movie. Sure. But there's definitely <laughs> a, wanna, he definitely says Monkey Farm. I just am reminded of these monkey fighting snakes on this Monday to Friday plane. That's yeah. all. Um, so my last entry, uh, I've talked about my, you know, here and there about my love for Dungeons and & Dragons and tabletop role-playing games in general on this show. Um, in fact, not too long ago, I ran a, a short game with some friends based on the movie Alien. Mm-hmm. And it was a sci-fi movie where 
their ship was invaded by the alien and they had or in this case multiple xenomorphs and they had to kill it okay now the deal with dungeons and dragons is it's a tabletop role-playing game and you take on the role of an adventurer and you have a person that's called the dungeon master or the game master depending on your system and they craft a narrative for you and run you through it and so it's kind of like improv and acting and gameplay all at once and the company that makes Dungeons and Dragons, Wizards of the Coast, Wizards of the Coast, publishes modules. And I mentioned this a couple of episodes ago. Mm-hmm. There was a module called Curse of Strahd for the most recent edition of Dungeons and Dragons. And b- most people would agree that it's certainly the best of these pre-published or pre-written modules published for dun- like the, new- the newest edition. Mm-hmm. The premise behind Curse of Strahd, it's a fantasy setting, so kind of Tolkien-esque, uh, but more magic. And you're wandering through the woods or you've left town you know on the the eastern road or whatever and the fog rolls in and when you when the fog subsides you are suddenly in a world where uh the cloud cover is so thick that you can't see the sun and all the trees are sort of gnarled and toothy and leafless <laughs> and the grass is you know brown and gray from lack of exposure and it's it's like the most uh, hyperbolic version of Eastern Europe in the 14, 1300s, whatever. And you have have been brought to this land for the uh, entertainment, the cruel entertainment of Count Strahd von Zarovich, which is like Count Dracula. <laughs> and he's, so he's so bring- it's like Space Jam. So they were going like, to bring Michael Jordan to Moron Mountain to perform for the aliens. So it's like Space Jam. <laughs> and and Strahd brings you to his little duchy of Barovia to to play with you because he's already beaten down all the other adventurers and because he already has these subjects that are bored and bland and pale and they're not interesting. interesting. Mm-hmm. You He's brought you here to be his playthings and to eventually string you along until he can kill you in a satisfying way and it's dungeons and dragons so over the course of the adventure you become more powerful you gain more abilities you get stronger you can cast more powerful magic um you pick up magical like magical swords and 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 part of the the adventure is that you have to get the implements necessary to kill Strahd. So you have to get this ancient tome of, of his history that gives you like knowledge of what his weaknesses are and you have to collect a holy symbol of the god that used to be in this land and you have to collect a, a sword that sh- that shines its its blade is the very sun uh-huh. like it is a blade made of sunlight and along the way you're meeting where tribes of werewolves and uh you know covens of hags that are taking children from the local villages and baking them into pies and all the sort of horror-y fairy tale type tropes writ large that you have to deal with there's a von helsing type character and of course as we've talked about every count vampire has to have some long lost love interest that's died a long time ago who now <laughs> must be reincarnated and, and part of your job is to try to protect her yeah and finally, you go to Strahd's castle and you make your way to the, you know, the upper, the most uppermost parapet and you fight this powerful vampire. You get to be the hero in a horror story that it, all this might sound like fun and games and it is, mm-hmm. but is really actually scary. There yeah. are horrifying moments in, in this campaign that uh, part of the reason we watch horror is to put a safe distance between us and the things that scare us while confronting them, okay. right? Yeah. That's one of the reasons we watch horror is because yeah. we like to be scared, but we like to be safe. Which is why, yeah, it's sim- like 
turning on the light makes it easier to watch a horror movie. Right. Yeah. Now, imagine that you get together with your friends every week and you sit down and you play a game where you are invested in a character that is like an avatar of yourself in some form or fa- you know, mm-hmm. fashion that you are putting in quote unquote real danger. It's a, it's a definitely, um, it's like mainlining that kind of, that kind of excitement because yes, you're, you're removed from it in the sense that you're not actually like a sun sword wielding Eagle person trying to fight and kill a vampire, but it's as close to that as you're ever going to get in real life. (laughs) So, uh, so yeah, curse of Strahd, I think is definitely my top. It's the pin for me. It's the pinnacle of, tabletop role-playing games that i love and horror that i love and getting to smoosh them together in one delicious sandwich yeah so uh one last thing i want to hit as we've been talking about a lot of movies here i mentioned how they're so accessible now horror movies on streaming horror movies have the probably lowest floor mm-hmm. and you know i guess you could debate on what their ceiling is but their ceiling's very high there are a lot of good horror movies sure. that are really well put together well crafted films but there's a the bottom of the barrel in horror is terrible and it's hard to tell sometimes on streaming services but i don't want that to deter somebody from watching a movie they haven't seen before maybe not even heard of so i have three yeah three things that i that i one of them you can maybe get by but if all three of these are present do not watch that movie it's not going to be good okay so number one, look at the cover art. If the cover art doesn't have any like faces or pictures of the actual actors in the movie, if it's just some sort of CGI'd together generic, yeah, that's like spooky and scary. Like probably not a great sign. The second one to check is length. Ninety minutes can can be a really effective movie, but if it's under eighty minutes. That most likely means... Or over two hours. <laughs> that can be... <laughs> but the 80-minute the one generally means you're going to watch a movie with a ton of filler because they probably barely had enough to get to that, 80 minutes. To make it a movie as well, opposed which to means, a long television show. Which means that the story can't have too much to it. And the third one is if you read the, if you have a description available and, or you can read the description... Now, this isn't always true. There are some horror movies that one location can be great. Sure. But if it says on a deserted island or in an abandoned house or if it sounds like it's just one location that the people who made the movie had access to, Mm -hmm. probably not a good sign either. (laughs) So, like I said, there can be times where one of those things is present and it's okay, but two of them, you're getting iffy, but you might be all three. It's not going to be a good movie. I can pretty much guarantee you that. So that's just my advice. If you're searching through Amazon or Netflix and you're like, should I watch this horror movie? Look at that checklist. If all three are there, boom, get out of there. All right. Very chops tips. Very good. (laughs) Well, thank you all of you out there who have joined us for our month of spooky movies and spooky media. Um, It's been fun for us to, to, you know, dive deeper into this and, and, you know, find the through the threads. We've learned a lot this month. Yeah. Thanks for taking the journey with us. Um, if we appreciate any feedback, any thoughts that you have, you can find us on uh, Twitter at NerdAsoc. That's N-E-R-D underscore A-S-S-O-C. You can uh, email us at NerdAsoc at gmail.com. No underscore there. We'd love to have you on to be one of our nerds. In fact, one of the things that inspired this month of spooky stuff was somebody writing to us and saying, hey, it'd be cool if you did this. So that gets results, man. Send us an email. Yeah. We will, we'll, we'll chat with you, and we'd love to chat with you on the show. Thanks for listening, and we will talk to you next week.